Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals. I'm your host, Ted Henschke. I'm Jesse. I'm Christine. And uh, this week we are going to be talking to Brett Pennings, who is one of the heads, developers, studio guys of the uh, team at Bullcut Studios who are making Mage Quit. So thank you for joining us, and drop that sick beat! Welcome back, guys. Um, so, how are how are you all doing this week? What do you what have you guys been playing? So, I've been playing. Uh, you know, I've been nonstop hunting the same monsters in Monster Hunter over and over. It's really pathological because once you hunt the monster once, you've you've done it. I don't know. There's some hypnotic thing that brings you back over and over, and so. Yeah, it's like, no matter how many times I slice the tail off, it never gets, like, less satisfying to land that critical hit that makes the tail go flying. And even if it does, you're still compelled to do it. It's The game still hypnotizes you <laughs> into doing it. It's like, well, what if there's something new this time? What if there's a new tail to slice yeah. off? So, yeah, I haven't played too much Monster Hunter, but I have to say that the animations where the cats are cooking never ceases to amaze me. Oh, yeah. It's, like, the comfiest <laughs> game of all time. You got, like, this... Yeah. Uh, the original cat was good enough. It was like this, this like badass sailor cat with like a scar on his face, and he'd just kind of stand there while all the, all the other cats were cooking for him. And now you have like uh, in the Iceborne DLC, you have like this uh, sweet mama uh, babushka cat who <laughs> who's like three times fatter than all the other cats, mm. um, and just makes like like it's like the um, who did Howl's Moving Castle. Miyazaki? Yeah, it's like a Miyazaki, like how they make food that looks better than food in real life. That's that's how Monster Hunter chefs are. Yeah, it's I always love those little like cutscenes where they're like making all the food and you can skip it, but like I never did. Why would you? Yeah, it's like the one skippable cutscene that I was always like, no no. The only skip the only cutscene that I would skip is when that piece of shit handler tries to get her dirty hands on on some some steak. She can't compete. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, how many, how many hours are you into Iceborne at this point? Maybe 50,000? <laughs> yeah, um, I it's it's one of those things where I keep seeing articles pop up as it's like continuing to come out where they're like, oh my god, we found even more content. Like, they, So the game, we got the review code probably, I would say four or five days before the game came out. And yeah. um, the, it was nowhere near enough time. Like You could have been playing 24 hours a day for those five days just... Yeah. Like on a hard meth binge, and you still would not have gotten to all the content. I mean, you say that, but there are people who like are master level 100, and it takes probably five hours to rank up your master level one. <laughs> what was the previous max level for master level? Um, well, it was just that uh, max level is, is a new thing. Oh, okay. Um, it's just like a new level because there are people with hunter level 999, mm-hmm. and now they're. Master they, level. Now they nine. ain't shit. Yeah. 
That's uh, that's pretty pretty crazy. There's probably some way to like min max your multipliers on like hunter rank by eating like certain foods that up your experience gain or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Losers. Christine, how about you? What have you been playing? So I just uh, got done playing Silver Chains. How was it? Um, it was it was better than I expected. Um, the the jump scares in that game genuinely genuinely frightened me and i wasn't i wasn't expecting i wasn't expecting too much from it like i went in with like very no expectations um but the jump scares the story the graphics it was just a really well done short horror game that i could see myself running through again if they if i I don't know if it has multiple endings or not i don't think it does but like i would i would definitely run through that game again because it was it was really good. That's good to know because I was going to review it. It didn't really run well on my computer, so I only played about five minutes. But in those five minutes, it was like I felt like Neo deflecting bullets when these jump scares would come up. It's like, oh, there's a bathtub. Something's going to grab it. Oh, yep. Hand grabbed and pulled me in for two seconds. <laughs> um, oh, oh, there's a, there's a closet full of uh, dolls hanging from it. Well, let's, let's go in there. Um, I, f- I was like... I could see the falling code. I could. Um, the spoons were bending before me. Um, it was. It was so not scary. Like, oh, there's a kid laughing. I mean, the concept of a of a haunted house in and of itself is totally ridiculous. It's just a ghost, like just an entity that's just there to like prank you. Yeah, yeah. I always wondered why, like just, they they got a pussyfoot around for a long time before yeah, they actually like, go to the kill. It's like twenty five minutes of like, oh, well, if I threw a, 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 a basketball into the hallway, wouldn't that freak you out? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I was watching you play it a little bit on stream, and um, it's so funny because when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this looks okay, but um, I was I, I I then went back and started looking at because like the haunted house simulator horror games are not. Uh, a genre that's in in need of expansion. There's already a bazillion of them, and uh, I, I so I like went back and looked at like the Dark Occult and like Raven's Cry and all these other games. And I was like, okay, I have to remember the, like the quality level that's our base standard for like median on haunted house simulators. And uh, Silver Chains looked looked like decent for that style of game, but I can definitely see how someone that's not like inundated in horror games would be like, am I just like opening closets and having spooky spooky ghosts pop out? And you're like, yeah, that's that's the whole game. <laughs> the the genre has been perfectly distilled into Spooky's House of Jump Scares. Like, really, you can't get better than that. Like, it's just taken the genre into its raw, most basic, pure form, and it's perfection. For future reference, I should just start opening my cans into the mic because it just seems impossible to not have it pick up, no matter where I where I open it in the room. I was like hiding it under my butt, like trying to open the can What's more the silently. Yeah, yeah, just own just, it. Just own it yeah. It's like those dudes that are gaming and they take massive like vape hits into the mic and you're like you had to push to talk like they have push to talk on they push it just so you can hear them hitting their fucking like hard bongs blowing fat cotton fat clouds um yeah anyways uh anything else christine uh mage quit (laughs) yeah we're gonna be talking to uh the mage playing a lot of mage quit this week yeah we actually have a big one today we're talking to 50 percent of the whole dev team which is a big big podcast so yeah um i've been playing a uh frankly irresponsible amount of total war warhammer 2 because uh the new dlc just came out and what does it add oh god it adds um 
So it adds two new factions to the game. Uh, one, an empire guy, and then a new lizard person. Um, this is like one of those conversations that I can't have because it just like goes very quickly into far nerdier than like man was meant to go. Like it just stares straight into the abyss. Like, okay, so I, I, I play a ludicrous amount of Total War. Like it's, it's, it's frankly embarrassing. I think I have in the Total War Warhammer 2 like over a thousand hours put into it. And the original Total War Warhammer, I think I have like 2,000 combined hours put into it. Um, like... And it's so funny, too, because I have friends that always tell me that, like, the game's too complicated for them to get into. First off, it's, like, the most simple of the grand strategy games. And second, like, I I started playing Total War when I was, like, nine, when the original Shogun came out. And um, I used to play it, like, blackout drunk. Like, true story, I actually stopped playing Total War for a period of time when I stopped drinking because I was, like... I, I was like, oh, this is t- too triggering because I used to just, like, down shots and, like, conquer empires. Like, b- before you have any, like, romantic notions about, like, how much of a party animal I was, like, that was how I spent a Tuesday, was, like, getting blackout and, like, just, like, so I wonder if I could make the Epirus Empire conquer Rome. Well, that would be cool. And playing, like, one of the, the smaller Greek states. Like, that was my shit. And um, so for for Total War Warhammer, I had to stop playing it for a long time because I was like, God, you know, I used to just spend days, like, with bottles and bottles just, like, plowing through. You think that's how, like, Alexander the Great and them would do it? Yes. Like, Hannibal would just be in his, like, being carted around by, like, 5,000 slaves just pounding... Pounding shots. And just being like, yeah, we could probably... There's that age... Oh, sorry. We could probably build a siege weapon and, like, throw... uh, Burning, burning cattle over the wall. Just threw burning cows at them, bro. Huh? That's like a drunk idea if I've ever heard of one. Just yeah. like launching burning cows. Well, they do shit like that. They like, yeah. Let's just throw uh, rotting cows and uh, beehives. Just whatever we got. Yeah, fuck it. But we got some burning oil. Yeah, why not? Stump it on these assholes. But, but what I realized is, like, going back and playing it again, is that, like, alcohol wasn't my problem. It was total war. Because, like, I started playing the new DLC, and I woke up, like, four days later. I don't know where my keys are. Like, my pants are on backwards. I'm covered in my own sweat and vomit. I'm like, what happened? But, like, hey, man, I conquered all of Lestria with, uh, for the Empire. So, I mean, like, it's totally worth it. And, uh, God, like, those... Saved a bunch of money on alcohol while doing it. Saved a whole ton of money on alcohol the same doing amount it. of depression and despair yeah. and crippling migraine <laughs> yeah. without even having to leave the home. No, seriously, like, I woke up after, like, a two-day Total War binge, and, like, my kidneys hurt, just like <laughs> it used to when I would wake up hungover, and I was, like, in the same bar dumpster, and I was like, god damn. The same bar dumpster with your laptop? With my laptop, just playing, like, clicking the end turn button. No, I, I think that um, the new DLC, like... Oh, man, because it, it, it revamps the Empire, which is one of the Mortal Empires campaigns. No one's going to know what I'm talking about unless they're a Total War fan, but it's basically, like, the longest campaign in the game they revamped, so, of course, I have to play through it again. And it's, like, it's easily, like, 80 to 100 hours of gameplay. And I, I've I've been chugging through it just so that I can... I get, like, excited when a new Total War DLC comes out because normally I can only play games I have to review now. So the ability to, like, block off an entire week to, like, not talk to people and barely exist is, like super nice but yeah i've just ba- barely been barely existing the past week just playing a ludicrous amount of that i gotta get into the surge two tonight so but for any uh, total war fans out there uh new dlc is great definitely worth it for the cost especially with the empire update and uh definitely check it out but uh yeah so it seems like september has been like a huge video game month we got tons of shit coming out i got to review greedfall there's um surge two coming out 
new Total War DLC. Children of Morta just came out. Children of Morta, which I gave to Jesse, and he has to review that, but he's been good. slacking. It's beautiful. Um, it's really visually awesome. Um, Gameplay's fine. What other games came out? Oh, Gears of War 5, which um, we're not going to have time to review. But Oh, wait, what's that one that came out recently? Pretty big title? Borderlands. Uh, Borderlands 3. <laughs> yeah, Borderlands 3. I've been playing through that. Um, it's really interesting. I was like... So, going along with um, other video game series and movie series, Power Creep, um, they need to keep raising the um, evilness of the characters. But, I mean, in Borderlands, every villain so far has been so insanely over-the-top, like, putting babies into meat grinders evil, um, that I was kind of surprised that they actually managed to make a more interesting evil villain than Handsome Jack. Um, with the interesting cultural critique of um, she's a, uh, a gamer girl streamer uh, who streams her, her violent murder and that's how she's like become the Genghis Khan of uh, bandits just rallying every bandit cult by just like you know selling her bath water and uh, <laughs> killing people on cam. Yeah, what's that line she says in the trailer? If there are any vault hunters out here, I'm not a, I'm not a merciful god. Something like that. Yeah, she's a she's yeah. a god queen gamer girl. Um, That's fucking epic. Yeah, um, and just has an army of incels willing to um, kill and die for her. <laughs> and it's got a really interesting cultural critique of uh, parasocial relationships and how how much we rely on you know the bonds formed between people that we've never and will never meet through our phones and through the internet and also um, shooting them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I I would love to hear your deeper dive on the parasocial relationships of Borderlands 3. I think that's... uh, I would love to uh, give my life for Ninja and then shoot him. Jesus Christ. Um, uh, we'll cut that. <laughs> no, that's that's staying in for sure. Um, so on that on that positive note, we're... Uh, yeah, there's just a lot. I actually, you know, I, I gave Borderlands 3 over here to Jesse to review. And uh, it can kind of... Sh- if you ever, like, have aspersions to the, the, the glorious life of a games journalist, uh, let me tell you, like, I've gotten to the point where I will more positively judge a game for only being, like, two hours long. Like, I was looking at Borderlands three and it's like oh no you not only got maps we get a new planets it's like nope fuck this i'm gonna give this to the new guy oh yeah yeah <laughs> there's no way i'm gonna have it even halfway done within a week or yeah he was all excited that i gave him monster hunter iceborne but really i just didn't want to have to like spend 400 hours in monster hunter iceborne yeah monster hunter iceborne took me 100 hours um i believe about 500 potions um and several several close friendships now lost to beat and i'm still going through it i'm still unlocking monsters still chugging now. through i feel it i feel S- you silver rathlos yeah what's the difference it's silver <laughs> it drops silver stuff <laughs> drops a still silver tail that's pretty dope man yeah the funny thing is is that uh, we're going to be talking about tgs next and uh i mean not n- yeah, speaking of video games that are egregiously long, it seems like every game coming out now is like ridiculously like we got a bunch of games we're going to be talking about that just seem like they're infinite gameplay. So uh, I just want to say like more indie studios need to come out with like 
30-minute games. I played Dark recently, and I, I criticized it for only being an hour and a half. But looking back, I was like, oh, I get to, I get to make myself a meal. I get to go outside for a minute. It's like, really oh. the perfect game is Nuclear Throne because you can beat it in 10 minutes, but you won't beat it for 5,000 hours. Like Binding of Isaac. It's like you can put 4 billion hours into that game. Yeah. Now it's also on your phone and stuff. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll just uh, start talking about the news. Let's hit that hit that sick drop for the news. News, 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 news. TGS has uh, come and gone now. I was going to write up some articles on it, but it, TGS is a little bit different than like E3, where they front load E3 with the first, like even before the show starts, all the announcements come out. So TGS kind of like shows off as the days go on. So I've been waiting on posting some art. By the time this is edited out, though, all the articles will be up. So I don't even know why I'm talking about this. Um, but it was, it was kind of funny because I've been so busy with like launching the site and getting the podcast in order. I had like missed a couple of the announcements I had to go back on. And it, it was this weird experience because for the past like 10 years of my life, I've been so plugged into like the gaming zeitgeist that every second of every day that there's an announcement, I'm one of the first to know, or like at least within the first hour, I, I know because I just have to. And so I was like, oh, this got announced. Like I didn't realize Deadly Premonition 2 got announced like a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> people were make, people were making jokes about it, and I was like, "Yeah, that would be fun, wouldn't it?" But uh, so it was cool going through the TGS uh, showcases and shit, just kind of um, getting caught up on everything. Uh, they're all in Japanese, so that's that makes things interesting. I get to guess at the mechanics. That's pretty fun. But uh, yeah, so I, I got and wanted to see uh, what you guys got out of the show. Either of you have any uh, trailers? Any of the games you want to bring up for our? Shot across the bow of uh, this uh, this segment. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll take a crack at it. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about Death Stranding, yeah, um, a game that we all wondered if it was going to come out this year or not. I mean, we we definitely had a, a pool in our office um, about whether the game was actually going to come out uh, by the end of this year or not. But it's got a release date, so that's pretty cool. Um, but basically the trailer for uh, Death Stranding at TGS, the Death Stranding trailer uh, that came out, there were actually two trailers that came out uh, during TGS. There was the seven minute uh, briefing trailer, which kind of explained what everybody was wondering, and it's what the heck is this game even about? So they kind of solidified that in this trailer by saying, oh, there's, like, these different camps around America that we're trying to branch together. We're trying to reconnect America. And that's... and The United like, Cities? Yeah. I believe so they I called it. They, what they call it is... I think it's, like, the UNC or something. Um, but basically, they're trying to, like, reunite the connections between people. And that's, like... It's a very Kojima, like, ideal... Um, behind this game where it's like we've lost the connections between ourselves as humans so we need to reconnect and reunite as a nation um, which I think is could be could have some really interesting commentary behind it um, and then they showed some gameplay which also kind of solidified that it is uh, somewhat of a walking simulator an open world walking simulator um, 
which you know is very reminiscent of um, um, Phantom Pain, where you ju- where he just throws you this huge area mm-hmm. and it's like go explore, but you also do have missions that you need to go and do. Um, so they kind of gave you that. Um, there's gonna be uh, one of the most interesting mechanics in that game that came out of that trailer, in my opinion, is that when you when you collect items. Um, there's going to be a weight cap on your character, um, and you can choose where you want to place the items in your bag. So, like, you have belts on your, you have, like, these little bags on your belt, so if you put them on your, if you put too much weight on your left side, it'll affect your character when he's running around. Um, so that's something else that you have to take into consideration when playing this game, and I think that can make for some really interesting gameplay decisions. Yeah, Jesse and I were watching the trailer, and we were like, "God, I wonder what this this game is going to be." And then we were watching it, and we we're like, "Oh, it's it's Metal Gear Solid Five. Yeah, we watched about forty minutes of gameplay, um, and thirty-five no, minutes of that was you watched forty minutes of gameplay. After you left, I watched all the other trailers and shit that they have going on. Okay, well, what I saw was uh, thirty-eight minutes of Norman Reedus being uh, an Amazon delivery guy. <laughs> Um, and maybe five minutes of fighting a, um, you know, crude oil dog by yeah, throwing blood cool. grenades at it. Yeah, um, that and was... I'm about that. This is, those are both things that I love. Okay. Making money for Jeff Bezos and <laughs> uh, making money for big oil. Yeah, I think it's a pro-oil message all around. Yeah, just oil is good and cool. Give your blood to the oil gods. <laughs> I, I don't know if they discussed this in the trailer because I couldn't understand it because it was in Japanese. Yes. Um, but there's this idea that you shoot the monsters using your blo- your own blood. And I wonder if it's going to be a, a issue in this game where you like lose if you use if you shoot it too many times and you use too much blood, like do you die? Yeah, I was uh, I was reading that part of the article. So first off, uh, mercifully, the story trailer was in English, but uh, the g- gameplay trailer was all in Japanese. So a lot of this I had to like figure out by doing my least favorite activity, reading, and uh, so I had to yeah do some research for this one, which I hate. Um, don't ever make me do research; it's ridiculous. I just give me the trailer. Come on, I'd have to use my eyeballs to read. Um, but the uh, blood grenades—you can use blood packs that you find. They're like items, or you can use your own blood. And I'm guessing that's going to be a mechanic because we saw the um, safe house how you get transfusions and stuff. And so I'm guessing blood and using your own blood is going to be integral to the story. But also, when you're delivering things, you're delivering supplies like anti. Oh God! There's all these acronyms. So it's it's the UCA. It's the United Cities of America, and then UCA. yeah, and then you the the bad things are EPs for I think they're EPs. I can't fucking remember, but it's it's there's some otherworldly creatures spinning DDTs. Spinning DDTs. Yeah, um, coming and, soon to DVD. <laughs> so I I just. The um, but you you so you deliver weapons and food and supplies, but also like sperm and eggs, and they have this weird plot element where like certain people don't age, like most people don't age, and I, I don't like their bodies are trapped in an ether or something. I have this, no fucking idea. That's what I like about Kojima. A lot of his games are just fever dreams. 
Yeah, that's the thing is like I, I feel that uh, Death Stranding has a message, but it's so hard. It's like it's it's so on the nose, but also so obtuse at the same time. Like I think Metal Gear Solid Five was about flame whales. What was the message of Metal Gear Solid Five? Like, what was the political message? You played it. I did. Um, I remember. Okay. Fuck. Right. Metal so Gear. Metal Gear Solid 4 was about nanomachines okay. and how those are bad and PMCs are bad and the privatizing Solid, military is bad. Metal Gear Solid uh, 1, <clears throat> big robots are cool. Metal Gear Solid 2, Well, no, Metal Gear Solid 1 was bad. about, uh, as a metaphor for nuclear proliferation and how like if we create... Big, ro- big Metal Gears are cool. Right. They are cool. But like the more nukes that we have, the more likely they're going to find their way into terrorist hands. But instead of nukes, it's Gundams. And uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 was about the information age, as much as that game was about anything. That game was a, another fever dream. Um, Metal Gear Solid 3 was about like Cold War ideologies and um, like the what is the point of becoming a patriot for your country which is going to betray you. So it was kind of this anti-nationalistic message. Um, I don't know. It's 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 weird. Um, I'm not, like his his the story is it's like always like pretty on the nose with the message, but then there's all these questions we have about what Death Stranding actually is. Like, why are these people alone on the beach? Like, what are the why is the the pre, the vice president John Die Hard Man? No, his name is Die Hard Man. Yeah, Die Hyphen Hard Man. I don't know, Christine, if you saw that in the trailer, but the guy with the skull on his face, his name is Die slash Hard Man. Yeah, I saw that. It's pretty but, fucking but, epic. But to kind of um, at least provide some context for the beach, um, I remember there being a conversation from a past interview that the beach is kind of like the afterlife and that you have access to this kind of like, not so much the, the afterlife, it's more like a purgatory, but you have access to it um, for some reason. And so do now, so do most of the world. Um, something happened in this place that impacted the real life because uh, there's a character in it who uh, there his trailer came out a while ago and he's he sleeps for 24 hours and then uh, I'm sorry he sleeps for 12 hours and then he goes into back into the purgatory and then he sleeps for 12 hours like he, he's he, he basically dies and then his um, what are those things called they shock you the defibrillators. The, 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 Jinx. Yeah. Uh, they, he brings himself back to life, and he then he dies again. He brings back himself. So, like, there are people in this world who are doing that for some reason or another. But it, that question hasn't <laughs> been answered yet. So, my 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 in depth in depth knowledge of Kojima, I'm going to say that the plot is that technology asks if we can do it, not if we should do it. And that the Large Hydron Collider opens up a, a wormhole to the afterlife. Causes the third impact. Everybody turns into uh, goo. Yeah, and that um, uh, it's some kind of mix of spirituality. That these these oil spirits are supposed to be good guys, but our, our destruction of nature has turned them into bad guys, which is why they're all oily. Uh, what else? My favorite part of the combat trailer is when Norman Reedus pops the baby out of the, the capsule and then swings it around like a shillelagh <laughs> to fight. That was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty, pretty um, innovative of Kojima to go there. The baby flail was an interesting decision about how you can actually use the umbilical cord of small children as a strangling device as well. Like it's really multi-use. Yeah, um, you can hold it by the I foot like and use they, it as a club. Yeah, I like when they showed the image of them uh, in the hot tub, but the baby's still in the capsule. Mm-hmm. The baby's just floating. In the, well, the baby's in already the, in the hot tub. Hot yeah. Yeah. I, I, <clears throat> 
the, the, we still haven't gotten a description of why the baby whose name is BB, Bridge Baby. So it's baby abbreviated into baby for some reason. Uh, oh, yeah, we should actually probably talk about the mechanics a little bit, though, before we try to dissect, uh, spend a seven-hour uh, thesis statement on trying to dissect Kojima's stories. Uh, but uh, some of the cool stuff is that you... If you interact with the world, it can leave it for other players. So it's supposed to be about isolation. It's asynchronous multiplayer, which if you don't know what that term means, it means that you have multiplayer, but it's not direct contact, like you're not both in the same level. And so if you put a ladder down, someone else in their own world can climb it. And if you someone climbs your ladder and likes the placement, they'll give you a like, and those likes are currency in your world. So I think that it's, it's really easy to see the layers of metaphor here about isolation but then these parasocial relationships and all these cities are disconnected but you're disconnected from other players and um and then all you have is this baby and you, you it doesn't even talk to you and then you, you gotta make it so it's happy i, I wouldn't know. be surprised if they never discussed the baby if the baby's just a part of him if he's just got this exterior womb um but the game is on just so many levels of metaphor that it's just nonsense. So I think it has something to do with the afterlife. These babies are probably children of that are, I don't know, maybe they're soulless or something. But fuck it. I just said we're not going to be discussing okay. Kojima's plots. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, but we you can't, can't, we you can't, can't speculate. Not. Yeah. Um, but I really do like the weight mechanic as well. Um, that yeah. was really cool. So that you can load a gun onto one leg and another gun onto the other leg. So you cannot, like, if you want to be super lopsided, I guess you can. But you got to try to not be lopsided. And then you put down your backpack to fight. Um, and then the giant blood Karen was pretty cool. Oil Karen that you kill with blood. That was pretty cool. Um, I really like the, uh, the map mechanic. Because when you open up the map, it, it will, like, when you go to do a mission, because you, you have to cross this terrain, and it's like, say you're crossing a river, the map will show you, like, spots you should and shouldn't go to, and you can basically plot your own course based off of that. But it's like, red, it's gonna, it's gonna kill you. Like, yellow, you can do it, but you might die, and then blue is probably the safest. So it's like, is there gonna be, like, a risk and reward type thing? Like, if you try to go for the harder spots, is it gonna get you there quicker type thing? Um, so that, that could be interesting. Mm, yeah. Jesse, any final thoughts on Death Stranding? I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, um... I, I, I actually like okay so I'm gonna go a bit off of uh, the company line right now and say that like I'm not super like stoked on Death Stranding so some of the weapons looked like you got this energy bolus which was pretty cool that you can use to disable people and the and the combat looked fine but the amount of open space I think that Hideo Kojima is is a madman like I think he's undeniably so. yeah demonstrably an insane person and he makes very good video games but he always previously had the kind of the boot to his neck of konami saying you have to keep it within a certain budget you have to keep it within a certain you have to make it not dumb yeah a certain scope and scale and uh i don't think he likes that which is why he went off to create kojima productions and do his own thing but i am a bit concerned about what the game's going to look like when he doesn't have anyone telling him okay man you got to Ran a little bit. It's like it's like George Lucas, right? So George Lucas made the original Star Wars and then was part of the production of the the second two of the original Star Wars. But the original Star Wars had like all this other weird shit it wanted to do. But he had he was reined in. Yeah, had his wife who was like doing massive edits. Um, 
But then by the time, yeah, by the time of the Phantom Menace. By the time uh, of Phantom Menace, he was the one in charge. He was the biggest man in all of, in, in all of sci-fi. And yeah. how, how are you going to tell George Lucas, uh, hey, that's a dumb idea? I mean, how are you going to tell, like, Kojima, and the big, the big hint on this is that Kojima's demo for Death Stranding was 59 minutes long. And you know that when they were like, hey, how much time do you need on stage to show off this demo? He's like, 59 minutes. Someone was like, can you cut it down? He's like, no. And if you watch the trailer, it's 38 of those minutes are Norman Reedus like peeing in a bush. Like it's, there's like so much, there's like, seriously, we were watching it and the and last he fucking pees. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. He's like Metal Gear Ray. Yeah. I, I wonder, I'm not going to, I was going to diverge into Kojima's dick and the, the power of his pee, but I don't think that's, that's appropriate for the real professional podcast, but I'll just let you at home imagine uh, where that conversation would lead. Uh, but the, we are at the end of the trailer and he's like going down this hill and this music is playing. And all I could think of is that ladder scene in Metal Gear Solid three. It's like, and I'm still in a dream. And it's like a five minute ladder climbing. Who thought that was a good idea? And watching that was a great idea. <laughs> it's, it's the most memeable idea of that game. And I certainly remember it, but uh, like who's, who was like, okay, Kojima, we can have a 12 minute segment of you walking down a hill. And that's, that's, that's the game. And, I'm just not super certain. I thought the combat looked okay. I think that the the concept the concept is definitely cool. I really like the unique weird things he does. I like that the baby is like you got to keep it calm or else it'll track monsters, and it's also kind of your health bar in a way. Um, I liked all of that, uh, but then Kojima's like, okay, so let's make a segment where you sit in your room and if you stare at Norman Reedus's dick too many times, he punches you. He punches you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like a thing in the game. I missed that, but I'm going to have to go check out Norman Reese's dick. Yeah, and he, let's, let's have it so you can eat these little uh, little crunchy baby things. Little, little bugs. Little crunchy bugs. And, and you know for a fact, you, you, you point at the bug, he goes over, he, he slowly eats it. You know that that's not going to be skippable. There's no possible way. You're going to have to watch him have his jaunty little animation yeah. every time you want to put on a new hat. Every time you want to eat a little bug, yeah, you're gonna eat. You're gonna have like the bugs are gonna be mandatory. I should have. I should have actually timed how long it took him to empty his <laughs> bladder because it was probably uh, like the most real time bladder emptying. But if you're gonna have to spend three minutes to pee every hour of gameplay, I I don't know if I'm gonna really like that. Unless the pee has some kind of special mechanic where I can pee on a monster to deal extra damage or something. I have no idea. As long as he shits, I'll be okay. <laughs> What else do people see at TGS? <laughs> spend 50 minutes on Kojima. Yeah, we're going to spend yeah. the entire time talking about... Yeah, we're about, already at 42 Well, maybe 30 no, we, minutes. Yeah, we're about at the 30-minute mark. Jesse, you want to talk about a trailer or something? Yakuza is always uh, very centered in reality. <laughs> this might be the least centered in reality Yakuza game yet, and that is saying yeah. something. I I do think it's interesting that they're taking it and turning it into uh, Yakuza XCOM, yeah. where it's like turn based and um, God, I don't even know how to describe the gameplay. It's, because it's like it's like all other RPGs are going into the future and like the Final Fantasies of the past. Like even Final Fantasy VII is being re, redone in real time, and Yakuza is like, you know what would be better than this? Old school turn based, and like Yakuza has never been a turn based RPG. No, it's the least turn based game maybe ever, and. That's the least outrageous part of the new game that we've seen. <laughs> yeah. Like, your character 
Well, it's like you, you fight a big earth mover with a purse, and it's like yeah. a dragon. It's like the boss fights, so it's because it's a turn-based RPG, they need to have boss fights, so one of the boss fights is just like a dump truck, but it screams like it's a T-Rex. Yeah, and like there's all the most insane characters, um, just like you know naked Japanese guys uh, riding snake motorcycles. Yes. Um, the, uh, you know, your character is like... At one point, you befriend a lobster. I saw that briefly in the trailer. I can't even remember what is what are real memories and what is just nonsense <laughs> that I'm making up in my head. Like, I'm 90% sure that I saw Yakuza Cart in there. Yeah. But that seems like a bad joke. That seems like... And um, there's that uh, big laser that shoots him. Yeah, there's like an ion cannon that shoots from space. Yeah, presumably... Uh, you know, the character f- soars up into the atmosphere like Tetsuo and like punches it out of the atmosphere um, before going down and, you know, brawling with more Yakuza members for <laughs> five minutes. Yeah. I, it's just, Yakuza games have always been made by their ridiculous side content. So I, I would say a good 60% of the trailer was dedicated to the weird little mini games, which rightfully so. Those are why people buy Yakuza games. I think the best part of Yakuza is the dichotomy between um, the total batshit insane, um, you know, meeting your friend Mr. Libido, who's just this dancing nude guy in an alley every five minutes and, like, you know, uh, gambling away and, like, doing karaoke, mixed with, like, the heavy drama of being a hardened criminal. <laughs> and the uh, intense combat where you, like, break motorcycles over people's heads. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to Yakuza 7 just out of pure ridiculous factor. Christine, do you have any uh, intimate knowledge of the Yakuza series? I, Other than what I've seen, like, from the insanity of the clips from from those games, like, the dancing sequences and and like the making drink sequences uh i don't know too much about yakuza but i do have to say i saw a clip from from the tgs trailer with the summons mm-hmm. where you can where you can summon lobsters and it is the most over the top summoned like scene i think i've seen in a game in a very long time because like the lobster like all these lobsters fall out of the air and they land and there's this one lobster and he powers up and then he grabs this guy's nose yeah and then does a flip off of the guy and lands (laughs) and i'm just like what is this game yeah that's that's yakuza in a nutshell highly recommend you just pick up uh yakuza zero and play that for a while because you will your insight meter will be fucking soaring through the roof it seems like they're coming out like people so we we can get into this discussion another time, but we've I've talked at least personally with people a couple of times about how Japanese companies don't seem to understand the Western market, and it's not um like a dig at them. It's just that there's like a real actual problem that like Japanese companies aren't sure what Western markets like, and they're trying to figure it out. And they've been pumping out like a so Yakuza like it was originally a PlayStation Two game, and then they would come out with one every few years. But now it seems like they're coming out with a new Yakuza game like every six months. Like we just had Judgment come out, which is a Yakuza game, and then they had the Dead Souls spinoff, which was a zombie Yakuza game. And I think they're just realizing that Americans love buying these Yakuza games. And they're going to just keep trying to keep mining that gold. And so far, as long as they have these ridiculous mini games, I think that's why people buy them. It's like a, it's like the, the the crack that was Mario 
the Mario Party games is like you get these these fifteen second little hits of pure bliss. Well, speaking of crack, it's like you know they have uh, like twenty minutes of story, and they got to cut it with uh, like seven hours of running a host club I, I would and buying say- like. Yeah, little, little trinkets here. I would say that doing girls. like going to playing a Yakuza game is exactly like a rave, and like you're just like pounding whippets, and every time you do one of these mini games, it's like taking a hit of those whippets, and you're like woo, and you have like 15 seconds of fun, and you just got to keep pounding through these canisters, and then like all of a sudden, like you can't explain why the music is great or why this beat was super sick or like why this specific like. Hit a Molly was the best one you had, but then it just like all congeals together into this experience where you're like, God, I got to do another one in like three months or like next weekend. I don't know. I don't know how you rave. This is how I raved. But uh, I would say that, yeah, Yakuza is exactly like acid. Moving on from uh, Yakuza, I was been mostly looking at two games. I told us all to come up with uh, one trailer, but it's my show, so I'm going to talk about two games, so deal with it. Uh, first is Neo 2. I'm really excited for Neo 2. I really loved the original Neo. Uh, I was actually writing an article about it, and then I realized that the showcase for the game hadn't actually happened yet. It happened today, or technically like yesterday, because Japan's like in the future or something, uh, because of time zones. But Neo 2, really looking forward to seeing what kind of new gameplay there is because we had watched the previous trailer that had come out and they didn't really show any new gameplay and a lot of the gameplay footage from the floor didn't really show anything new. So uh, I took some notes because Jesse over here is also a Neo fan. So what do we see new in Neo 2? Uh, first off, there's multiplayer now. The original Neo was different because it didn't have cooperative multiplayer, right? But now you can actually play with up to three players. There's three players that you can actually go through the whole game with, which will, of course, scale up as these games always do. Um, and it's not like the summons in, in Dark Souls. They're not like a different color. That's just like you have three-player multiplayer. Um, there's dual axes as a new weapon. Um, one of the things I noticed is that the combat looks a lot faster. And I think that's a, that's a facet of there being three players is that enemies will recover from attacks much quicker uh, so you can hit them and it'll stagger them, but then it'll only be like a half-second window until they're ready to attack you again. It was already incredibly fast combat. I don't know if my, my slow brain can keep up. Yeah, it's Team Ninja who did the Ninja Gaiden series, so the combat's always been incredibly fast in these games. Uh, there's also the dual... The, like I said, there's the dual axes. Those were pretty cool because they're like a throwing weapon, so you can throw it, and there's a lot of combos now that are more ranged, which I'm guessing is also a facet of the multiplayer experience, is that you can have more of a focus on range. They still got bows and guns like they did in the first one, but it seems like your melee weapons have um, some ranged skills, especially with the throwing axes. I'm not sure about the rest of them. But uh, there's an adorable fat cat that rolls around after you. It's it's like the cutest thing ever. It's a friendly yokai, and it, it you talk to it, and then instead of walking, it rolls because it's so fat, and it recovers your health and stamina. So nice. that's a selling point. Uh, but the big thing here is that you now get yokai moves, so you still have those... Uh, I think this is what's replacing the the summons in the original game, is that you used to be able to summon these yokai for these crazy attacks. But now you what happens is that it's, it's, it's like Pokemon. Every enemy has a chance to drop a yokai move, which then you can put into your loadout. So they said that with DLC, they're going to be adding more and more and more yokai. And I think that's really cool. Um, the story exists. I wrote down some notes about the story, but I don't think anyone really cares. It's a prequel. And it's taking the perspective that 
Uh, Hideyoshi Toyotomi, who was one of the warlords in Japan that united the co- country before Tokugawa, was actually two people. I don't fucking know. The stories in uh, the story in Neo and presumably Neo Two was awesome because it's like we talked the, about it last cast. Yeah, the, the real story of like the uh, Tokugawa shogunate uh, talking with and like their interactions with the other shogun in the area. And Daimyos. Yeah, just the the interactions between these kingdoms, and but then the game itself is about like the astral plane (laughs) yeah oh yeah that's another thing is that apparently there's a uh dark realm in this game and in the dark realm you gain strength in yokai form but you lose strength in samurai form so you gotta and then you can do certain missions in these dark realms to unlock new areas and there's certain zones you can't get into unless you clear the dark zone so there's a lot of gameplay other than that the game looked largely the same you still got the kai pulses to recover your stamina you still got the very fast combat. Uh, there seems to be a lot more execution moves in this game where enemies will execute you, so there's more death animations. Oh, yeah. But the, the addition of the yokai moves seems to be the biggest addition as you can do these crazy combos. Like, you can go light attack, light attack, yokai move, and you'll do this, like, giant axe flurry. Um, so that looks cool. I think that Neo 2 is probably my pick of the game I'm most excited about during the show, uh, even over Death Stranding. And even over our next game, they're going to be talking about really quick, Project Resistance. Have you guys watched the Project Resistance gameplay? Oh, God. Oh, yes, I did. So, Project Resistance. Uh, you guys, uh, I, I'm just going to kick it off. I, I don't want to share my mic time on this one. but Go, go nuts. Yeah, I, I've played all the Resident Evil games, all of them so far, including Outbreak, all that stuff. And I don't, I, I want to know how Capcom works. Because Project Resistance looks... If you played... There's this old history of of zombie mods for Half-Life 2. Where all these zombie mods came out. It was like Zombie Panic and Contagion and uh, Hell Has No Room and all this stuff. And there was one in particular where someone took control of a zombie overlord master that would activate traps. And you, you tried to get through the map as they were spawning more zombies. And it was it was really great as a free mod. And the UI was terrible, and it hardly loaded half the time. Looking at Project Resistance, it looks like that mod with the same level of graphics. It does not look terribly pretty. And it's so clear that they didn't develop a new... It's the same Resident Evil 2 inventory layout. It's enemies ripped straight from Resident Evil 2. Same tyrant, same plant enemies. And it's it just... It doesn't look very good, guys. It, I, I'm not excited for Project Resistance. It's not even that they're reusing assets, because the assets are fine. You know, you don't really need to reinvent the zombie. A big, big, angry guy in a trench coat, still pretty intimidating. But just the gameplay itself looks so abysmal. Holy fuck. Yeah, there's just a- like everybody moves super slow, and you're on a time limit. And the time limit, I, I don't think we ever saw it more than like. You have five minutes left to yeah. complete the mission. You gain time for doing certain things and lose time for certain other things. Yeah, everybody walks like they're underwater, zombies included. Um, <laughs> the the game, like, and they didn't even cherry pick out, like, the interesting scenes from the gameplay for the trailer. It's like the character, like, one of the characters stepped on the same uh, bear trap, like, twice in a row. Yeah. Um, just, like, three or four people uh, in sync beating on a, on a tube with... You know, bio goo in it, um, with like like two by fours. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
and uh, and one character, like they're all just these totally boring ass characters. Except one of them can cast like a like a spell. Yeah, each of the characters has different uh, skills. So fun story. We were watching the trailer, uh, the story trailer, and I was asking Jesse, Jesse, can you guess the character's name? Can you guess the black character's name? And, and I he guessed correctly. I said Thomas Sankara, and, and it was him. <laughs> no, he just was like, I don't know. And I was like, guess the most stereotypical black character name you could guess. And he's Tyrone. Like, you got it, bro. Oh man, it's it's like you got to stop naming black characters Tyrone Japan. That's not that's not okay anymore. <laughs> I don't even mean to be SJW about it. It's just it's just so funny that it's it's so initially immediately cringe inducing. Yeah, everything about it. Yeah. It's incredible that they were able to get the worst part of every aspect of the game and condense it into one one game and just assume they'd pass it off. This is what I would expect um, Konami uh, post-Yakuza. Um, yeah. Like real, real life vibes. Yakuza liquidating the company to turn it into pachinko machines. Like That's what <laughs> I would expect from them. But this is the same... You said this is the same studio that made Iceborne, which is like such yeah. an incredible. Well, that's what I was saying is I want to get level. a look inside of of Capcom to find out what the fuck is going on because Capcom at this point is such a large studio that they have like sub teams working on different things inside, and I think that this is indicative of that kind of huge studio mentality, which is that you get people that are such a big like they're they're their own little stars and their own little fiefdoms they they were the lead dev on revelations too and they need to keep finding projects for them so they just keep coming out with these like little side shoot little little projects and every once in a while you get a revelations too and then every once in a while you get an umbrella core you get a operation raccoon city where the like the big star names keep working on resident evil 8 they need to find things for these these smaller guys to do but project resistance i'm, I'm willing to be surprised by it i think that the gameplay multiplayer zombie shooters are in general fun for me cooperative multiplayer shooters are in general fun for me playing as the bad guy is in general fun for me so it's a lot of elements that together i like i really hope that they tighten up the feedback because the fact that you could like shoot a zombie and basically get no feedback for your hits other than little numbers popping up just did not feel good christine what what were your thoughts on uh project resistance I mean, you already know what I think about this. Uh, there's a game that's out right now called Last Year the Nightmare, and it just feels like Last Year the Nightmare with Resident Evil characters. And I very, very much enjoy Last Year the Nightmare, and I'm hoping that this kind of uh, feeds off of that. I didn't, you know, I wasn't wildly impressed with the Masterminds mechanics, but, you know, we've only seen the first bit of the gameplay like it's it just got announced so i'm not you know i'm holding back any negative comments that i may have may or may have at this moment until i see more information yeah that's the professional thing to do because you're a real professional here but uh we're air quotes real professionals so i'm just gonna talk shit uh i i yeah i i agree that i really we really should see no I, i i don't I've seen enough gameplay to realize that the problems with the game are fundamental with the look and the feel, the the actual UI, the tactile feedback, the fact that we were watching them run through these corridors and complete these objectives with nary a zombie in sight. It it just looked very unpolished, unpulled together. There's so many things that need to change for it to be in a final state that perhaps 
when it does hit release and they do tweak it a bunch, it'll be good. But the, what I'm looking at now does not look like a game that I can pour... With a multiplayer zombie shooter like this, something like Left 4 Dead, you have to be able to pour hundreds of hours into it. And you have to make a game that's constantly replayable, fun for an hour, and still fun 100 hours in. This doesn't this doesn't look like that to me. Hopefully I'm surprised when it comes out. Maybe it's the best game ever made. I'm willing to be surprised, but not from what I've seen so far. I will take I mean, it. That's how I kind of felt like with Dead by Daylight the first time I played it, though. And it's now I now I play it constantly. So I'm hoping they find that magic sweet spot with this game. Mm. That will that will because the beta is not you know they haven't even done the beta yet. So I'm waiting until after the beta and after some more gameplay to pour any of my comments. In. <laughs> yeah, it's very possible we they just uh, were brave enough to show us like the pre-alpha version of yeah. this nonsense. Um, it looked bad. It looked real bad. <laughs> oh, please, please don't blacklist us, Capcom. We really like Monster Hunter. We gave it a five out of five. Yeah. Anyways, I like Resident Evil. Yeah, Resident Evil Seven is one of the best horror games ever made, and uh, Resident Evil Umbrella Core is not. And this looks like more on the side of Umbrella Core than it does on the side of Resident Evil 7. All right. Uh, we've been talking about TGS for four hours now, and we should probably move on to the interview portion of the podcast. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to be talking to uh, Brett Penning about from Bull Cut Studios about Mage Quit. So stay tuned, and we'll be back after this short break. Musical interlude now. back we are here with brett pennings who is founder co-owner lead designer lead developer man of many hats for an indie game in the big vast video game market so uh, christine i know that you uh have some history with these people so why don't you go ahead and take us away all right well thank you brett for joining us today yeah of course thanks for having me on all right so just for just for context mage quick can you Tell us a little bit about it, kind of your elevator pitch of what Mage Quit is. Sure, yeah, I've, I've given this a few times. It's a top-down wizard brawler for up to ten players. Uh, before each round, you draft a new spell. Every kill you get makes your beard longer. At the end of nine rounds, longest beard wins. Very cool. It's not like I've heard that too yeah, many you've, times. <laughs> you've been to conventions with us. You've, you've heard it. You've probably said it yourself. <laughs> probably. Um, so one of the things uh, that... Because we, we've talked a ton about this game. Um, I interviewed you guys back in 2017. Yep. Um, I'm going to pretend that you you don't know anything about it. Oh, I know nothing about this game. <laughs> uh, absolutely nothing. I'm trash. Uh, um, but one of the things we haven't talked about is how Bullcut Studios came about. Um, okay. That's something that's always been... Uh, I've been curious about. So was Bullcut Studios an idea that you came up with and then approached chat about, or is um, it something that you guys came up together? It kind of came together a little more organically than that. Um, so I guess go way back in, in eighth grade. I, uh, I, you know, I've always kind of liked video games since I was little. Um, I blame my parents because they didn't, they didn't let us have gaming systems. So it was, it was a lot of a novelty for us. So ironically, they uh, had the opposite effect on me that I think they wanted. 
but yeah, when I was in eighth grade, I, I taught myself at a program on a graphing calculator. I think a lot of people did the same thing. Maybe not a lot of people, but anyway. Nerds um, did. Nerds did, yep. So so there you go. Uh, and then about six years ago, Chad kind of wanted to get into, um, Chad's my brother. Uh, he wanted to get into making game graphics. He just wanted to make like goofy, like 2D graphics for games, just just for fun, you know. And so he started. Yeah, you know, normal thing. Uh, so he started. Um, I, like I, so I was like, all right, well, I'll show you how to program. Like I got all excited because I, I like teaching people how to program, but I was it was really hard for me to find someone who would want to sit there and listen to me teach them how to program. So I was like, all right, this is now he's going to learn how to program. This is going to be great. So I started. I started trying to teach him, and he just he's not a programmer. He's not he's not detail oriented. He's he's much more of an artist. So I was like, all right, you know what? Just send me the send me the graphics. I'll put it into a thing. I started learning Unity, and we started making this awful mobile game called Feisty Fist. And it's like a two D platformer with mobile controls. And um, you know, I didn't know anything really about game design aside from just I played a lot of games back then. And so we spent about a year working on this thing. And then I started reading books on game design and re- realized that we approached it entirely backwards. Normally, you want to start with the core mechanic of your game and then work your way into a theme and an aesthetic and make it look good, but make sure it's fun first. And we did the complete opposite. He was sending me our assets, and I was just throwing them in the game, trying to make something. So we kind of realized it was not a great game, and we stopped working on it and started working on Mage Quit instead. Okay, so it was... so. Mage Quid seemingly doesn't have, uh, you know, a backstory. Is that something that kind of came about of from doing it backwards, or was it just something you guys never really intended for? Uh, well, having Mage a story Quid? in Mage Quid. Well, okay, yeah. we didn't. We didn't do. We did Feisty Fist backwards, where we mm-hmm. did art. Oh, first. Okay. okay. Mage Quid is the other way around. We definitely like. I we had a working prototype that had no wizards in it. It was just. Like a cube with a bunch of spheres on it that would th- we'd throw spheres at each other to make sure that like the spell casting was actually fun and that curving spells was a cool mechanic. Like we had curving spells before we had any like anything that looked like wizards or anything. But are you asking more about story? Yeah, I was I was wondering because you had said it was backwards, but that was for the other game. That was for the other game. Yeah, that's why, um, that's why we kind of canned the other one. Okay. Do you think you guys would ever go back to the other game and try and make that, or uh, no? Mm, he's way better at art than he was back then, now. So, I don't know. I mean, he might be attached to the, all the assets he made, but um, I think, if anything, we, we might use some of the aesthetic, but um, he would probably redo a lot of it, and, and then maybe maybe we'd just reuse the name and make it like a... I don't know. We have kind of a thing for 10-player party games now. <laughs> Yeah, you guys uh, just had a tournament recently, right? Uh, yes, we just had an online tournament uh, last, so a week ago. Yeah, a week ago today. Who, uh, who then, won? Uh, actually, a team from Germany. Really? Uh, it was a, Yeah, it was a controversial victory. Uh, so, <laughs> how so? Rule set. Uh, okay, so it was very, like, the whole, the whole tournament was super epic. There was one team that was kind of the favorite. We all kind of expected them to win. They made it to so it was it was a double elimination tournament, and this team had made it all the way to the finals without losing, and the finals were best of three. But if you were the team going into it that hadn't lost a game yet, you have to lose three times to be out. So you get one free loss, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So um, 
this team went into there. They won their first game. So the team they were playing against, this this team from Germany, they um, they needed to win three games in a row, right? Uh, so the next two games, this team from Germany actually like won by a large margin against them, and they they were going into their their last game. So the final final game, uh, last it's done to the last round. And in Mage Quit, when you get a kill, you get a gem, right? Grows your beard. Total combined beer length for the team determines who wins. Uh, the other, the favorite team was down by three, and the German team obviously was up by three. Uh, and the current rule set is if you die without taking damage from anybody, no one gets a kill for it. Mm. So one of the German players just ran off the map right at the beginning so that the other team couldn't catch up mm. on the final round. What a king. Yeah, it was... Uh... <laughs> anyway. So you remember... Oh, sorry, this is totally unrelated. He's he's just abusing the features, man. I know. Well, uh, it was actually on my Trello board to make you lose a point if your character self-destructs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just It's been in there for like a year, and I just hadn't done it yet. And I was like, well, that's what I'd get for leaving something in there that long. It'll be fixed for the next one. Yeah, cool. What, what did they get for winning? Uh, they got exclusive in-game uh, hats. Oh, that's actually pretty <laughs> they're dope. Like, they're like they're a, more like crowns. Yeah, they're crowns. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but what we're planning on doing is for future tournaments, um, obviously if another team wins, they'll also get those crowns. Um, but we're going to make them upgradable crowns. So like, there's like a center gem in the middle of the crown. And like, if you win the tournament a second time, that will turn into like two gems. And so you basically, you, you want to keep playing to, to keep upgrading your crown. That's actually really cool. I like that. I like that style of upgradable cosmetics. It's like uh, so often we're focused on tournament winnings is like money and to do cosmetics in a way that it's you have to actually achieve them rather than just pay money is is pretty nice. It would be cool if the uh, the beard length as you know symbol of status carried over and like the best players just had a beard that was like ten miles long. <laughs> so just... <laughs> we have something ancillary to that. If you win a um, physical tournament like at PAX or another convention that we attend, uh, you get a golden beard. So at your game, mm. your beard and all the games will be gold. But that also means everybody targets you. <laughs> That's just the price yeah, of man. being a baller. Yeah, very true. Makes you a little bit of a target. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't yeah, know. I could, but. So <laughs> I, we actually added a tutorial to the game. And the, the easiest way for me to put, like, we had it was almost like a little target practice tutorial. The easiest way for me to put, like, targets in the draft screen was to make, like, a target face cosmetic. So I'm considering starting to give that out with with the golden beards, <laughs> just, just to be over the top about it. Like, okay, you're a target now. With a little bit of nightmare fuel, but yeah, <laughs> a little bit. It's actually a pretty cool way to build a community, though, because uh, for a lot of these multiplayer games, they they live or die in their community and interaction. So to have an incentive to not only play in tournaments but go to physical tournaments through yeah. cosmetics is pretty cool. Yeah, it seems it seems to work pretty well. We also do um, at like the bigger. Actually, no, we pretty much at all the events we have, we have an email sign up, and um, if you if you provide us your email, we send you a code for an exclusive event skin. So for the different packs, we had a different skin for each mm-hmm. packs. Um, and there's a few members of the community that have managed to attend each packs and sign up for the skin. So they have all three pack skins, which is pretty cool. It's pretty dope. Have you considered selling these skins for an exorbitant price, like a thousand dollars? Uh, uh, I guess I've thought about it, but a lot of people get enraged about, um, 
microtransactions. I guess it's not at that point. It's not a micro. Yeah, you should just say that it's the games. It's the, the industry's macro, yeah macro transaction macro game. Transaction. <laughs> Only macro transactions. Uh, we thought about doing maybe like a Patreon and having like Patreon, like as long as you're a patron, you you have a certain skin unlocked. We we have a centralized skin system in the game that allows me to revoke or add skins to people at any time. Mm-hmm. Nice. Which is pretty cool. That's actually pretty cool. You're the skin god. Skin yeah, god. pretty much. It's a lot of power. I have to talk about that a little bit about the communities who um, attend the conventions and things like that. You guys have an interesting the way you've built your community is very interesting in terms of uh, the way you've built it with your game because you give your community a lot of leeway on, uh, you know, ideas. You allow them to um, tell them their ideas and you kind of use that to, to help build your game. And you also have the community nights where you, you know, you jump into games with the community and see how they play and use that to, um, use that to improve your game. Can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah, um, actually, the community nights was your idea. So, <laughs> hush, hush. Nobody knows that. A little bit of self promotion yeah. over here from Christine. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Someone's someone's fishing for compliments. I'm not. Um, what was the best idea anyone's ever had about the game? <laughs> the community nights are a good idea though, because it's 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 uh, made some pretty diehard fans, people that actually want to stick around and play with us. But yeah, to me, ideas channel seemed like a pretty pretty obvious thing to do we've actually gotten some of our best ideas from the community so an example of that is um we started doing this this program for streamers where they uh they face off against another streamer and they each bring four members of the community so it's it's like a community-based 5v5 and and the communities get like really pumped about it because they get to help their streamer you know um like take out another community that's pretty Um, cool i like that idea yeah yeah, so, um, what was the question again? I had, I definitely had something for this. I was asking how your community helps build your mm, game. Yep, it helps that's you. Right, yeah, thank you. Okay, so after we did the very first one, uh, one of the streamers was like, hey, um, it'd be really cool if the game started with, like, a bunch of 1v1s between the teams. And I'm thinking, like, oh, with one spell, that's not good. Like, that, that would take too long. But then the more I thought about it, um, it kind of turned more into, like, we don't currently have a tiebreaker system in the game. It just gives the team that did the most damage, if there's a tie, it just gives them the win, which is, first of all, not clear, and second of all, not interesting or exciting. Um, so we took that 1v1 idea and, and then added a feature called Showdown. So if, you, if you're playing a team game and you end up tying, it goes to a showdown, which is a series of 1v1s between the two teams. Um, and it gets it can get very intense, but that's like one of that's one of my favorite things in the game now. And it, it came from listening to somebody provide an idea for the game. Okay, cool. That's pretty awesome, actually. Um, I, I I actually had a question about your design mentality. Uh, so th- a very similar game that a lot of people are going to be immediately thinking about when they look at your game is Magicka. And mm. uh, but with aesthetically, yeah, aesthetically, right, and also with the the spells, but. With with Magicka, there's a complete lack of balance in the game because they weren't trying yeah. to balance it. So it's just all this ridiculous. It's like let's. What if this spell was a giant ice laser, and then there's no idea about how the ice laser is actually going to balance against the fireball or whatever. Uh, but with Mage Quit, you have this multiplayer game where you're trying to balance creating interesting spells with having their power level be of of kind of the same level. 
So the question I have is, when you're going about developing a spell, do you start with the concept of what you want the spell to look like, or do you start from like a fundamental gameplay mechanic and then kind of work backwards into the visuals? How does that work? Uh, definitely mechanic first, but we have ideas for elements, and sometimes I have a, like a funny pun name that would go well with the element, and then that can inspire a mechanic. But... Uh, 90% of the time I work backwards from a, a mechanic and then I try to think of which element that would fit with and how we could theme it. What's one of these puns? So we've got um, we've got a sand movement spell where you throw this worm and if it hits somebody it um, basically dives underground and two ends of the worm, one end eats you, the other end eats the thing you hit and then you swap positions mm-hmm. and it's called wormhole because it's like a teleport. I get it. Huh, that's funny. So that's that's one. Yeah, there you go. What What are some spells that did that were just too ridiculous, like that just were were unfeasible or overpowered or silly? Speed boost. Speed boost. Why was speed boost too overpowered? What happened? So the whole pacing of the game is built around the fact that the wizards are slow moving, mm. and the spells aren't super fast. Some of the spells are super fast, but usually they're balanced out by having a high cast time, which creates a lot of anticipation. Um, if your character could move quickly. It would be, um, the, the aiming is also tied to the direction you're walking. So mm-hmm. the wizards moving slowly is actually an important design decision uh, so that you can aim without walking right into the person you're aiming at. Hmm. Or into like so, the lava. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I, so that's, that's, I know that's a boring, a boring answer, but we've had that suggestion a lot and it's, uh, we definitely. Well, that goes back to the, the idea of, of it's like you can have a diversity of mechanics. Like I think Magicka had like six billion spells or something stupid, and um, but like there's no there's no way that you can balance that. So if you're trying to go for a tense sure. multiplayer experience, you have to have a certain idea of what you want the game flow to be like in order to yeah. kind of tailor towards that particular. So I guess, I guess uh, first a little bit of uh, so I've played I've played Magic. Well, I've at least played Magic two, which probably not the best one to start with because they they just said like like you were saying earlier in the podcast uh you kind of had to up the ante with every sequel right Mm -hmm. they pretty much were like okay so in magical one you could combine three elements together to make a thing what if we did five yeah it's like it's an example of more is not better at all and i just like i was playing through it i just found myself hitting the same button five times because like it's overwhelming especially since they they're like okay and here's your eight elements so you, they give you initially every single spell, and just like just try stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So to me, I didn't like that. Yeah, and, I, yeah. I, I kind of had a, a feeling with uh, Mage Quit when I was playing it that it does it doesn't start overwhelming, and you do get used to it. But like the pr- pr- gradual progression of additions smooths that difficulty curve to make it so it's not overwhelming yet during my first playthrough i was like by the time i was done i was like i don't even remember my buttons it was just like slit and mash and shit <laughs> yeah that's usually the first time you play it's like that but you at least have two or three rounds at the beginning where you feel like you were maybe getting the hang of it mm-hmm. and you know you don't you don't have to use all your spells so that's another design decision that i think i think some games will miss the mark on is they'll add complexity to a game and it's almost required to understand how to do it in order to play. Mm-hmm. Um, when I want to add depth to the game, I try to, I try to think about it from the perspective of, is this going to confuse a new player or is this something that I can add in that is completely optional, sort of like spell curving. Mm-hmm. New players don't understand spell curving really. So they'll just keep throwing their spells straight, which is completely fine. But as you play more, 
and you want a little more depth to the game, then you then you can start using it. You should have a tutorial where Angelina Jolie stands in front of you and you have to curve the spell around her head. <laughs> uh, we do have a tutorial. She is not in it. Do you have yeah. a tutorial now? When I, when I played, you didn't have a tutorial. Yeah, it's... Uh, when did you play? Oh, uh, probably... Christine, when did we meet? E3, we probably played Mage Quit together maybe a month after that. So a yeah. few months ago. Okay, yeah, we, we definitely added it in the last couple months. But yeah, it, it just teaches you the basics, like how to move, how to throw your spell, yeah, I guess how to aim, and then it teaches you how to, how to do spell curving. Mm-hmm. And then it shows you a draft screen... And this is why I had to have those target faces, is because you're, you're hitting targets in the tutorial. There's a draft screen, and then you draft a movement spell, and then it's the movement spell that you draft is Summer Assault, which is another one of those puns. Mm. Um, <laughs> and it, that one you actually have to activate twice to use, so it forces people to, to know how to reactivate a spell, or that that's even a thing. And then they jump up onto a wall, hit a target, and then they can go and, and hit the last three targets. And that's it, it's really simple, but... In order to advance through it, you have to, like it forces by design. It forces you to understand the concepts just to get through it. Mm. Yeah, that's... but it also doesn't like throw text in your face. Like, hey, like it doesn't. It doesn't like so anyone could figure out how to do it, even if they even if they didn't know English. You know. Mm-hmm. So I want to kind of get more into questions about the design philosophy of the studio and stuff, and your journey through the games industry. But before I do that, I just wanted to see if Christine or um, Jesse here had any more questions about uh, Mage Quit mechanics specifically. I actually do. Um, so something you talk a lot about is that you want the player, when they die, to know how they died. <laughs> um, but there are situations, you know, where it's even when I've been playing, where, where I'll like die, and I'm like, well, what the hell just happened? How do you how do you make that distinction between when you go to to like maybe change or improve that mechanic? How do you differentiate between that person just not seeing something? that you would have seen and oh that needs to be changed okay so i have to make a little clarification on that i don't say i I don't know that i've ever said i want people to know how they die i know that's important for for you to not get upset when you when you die in the game it's what i always say is when you when you die i want you to know that it was your fault okay and interestingly enough what this what this has led to is um when toxic people try to play mage quit they end up not liking it Mm-hmm. Because they, they need to be able to point to something that wasn't them that caused them to die. You heard it here, folks. If uh, if you don't like mage quit, it's, you're toxic. You're toxic, <laughs> um, and it's you like need the, to. It's like the emperor's uh, clothes. Exactly. Whatever. You really need to reexamine your own behavior. Exactly. <laughs> this is the, the the litmus test for whether or not we can be friends is whether or not you like mage quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Ted, I actually do have one more question before we jump into history. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Steph. This actually does tie a little bit into the history of Mage Quick, but you guys changed the art uh, significantly in, yep. in the time that Mage Quick's been around, along with the art. So you you've had the you started off with with the basic spells: water, uh, yep. earth, air, and fire. Was there anything within those mechanics that you changed along with the art as it transferred over? Along with the art, well, yeah, I try. You know, let me look at them really quick. But my quick answer is that I try not to let aesthetics affect the mechanics of the game, so I would be really surprised if any of them actually art-wise. Not, not so much did you change it because of the art changing, but was there things during that process that like you significantly changed 
because of the art. Yeah, because okay. you, you knew he getting up there. So, so stage-wise, yes, because Chad had to redo all the stages in the new art style. So mm-hmm. mechanically, those did change a little bit. Like, Ruins is a completely different map now. But for the most part, mechanically, everything pretty much stayed the same through the art transition. I would say with the new art style, it's a lot more easy. It's, it's a lot more easy. It's a lot easier to tell what's going on. Because mm-hmm. um, I've I've gone back and watched old clips and been like I really like everything just kind of blends together like it looks fine but it just all blends together and I'm like the new art style you can actually see where you, like you can actually see the individual wizards and and the spells are pretty like distinct on the screen things like that yeah so I, you could say that's a, a little bit of a mechanic change because it affects how the game is played but otherwise not really yeah otherwise not really no okay so just okay. a Quick question. Um, you guys, your names are Brett and Chad, correct? Correct. Yeah. Have you ever considered of just really leaning into that in marketing? Is this this is a bro game for bros? Like, hey, it's Brett and Chad here making Mage quit, pound some brewskis with the bros. <laughs> what? I would Brett, hate this game so a, much. Brett is not a bro name. It's so a bro name, dude. It's like, hey, we're going to go to the, the fucking party with Brett and Chad. Like, they're bringing the brews, bro. That's like such a, that's so bro. <laughs> Just lean into it, man. Own your uh, own it and be proud. I think maybe like some people in the community might might be on board with that, but yeah, I'm just but for the most part. No, we try to. We're I don't know that we're trying to pander to that audience specifically. I imagine the bros would like the game, but how about this? You get Chad to pander to the bros, and you pander to the nerds. To, I wasn't going to say, say that. Bros and the hoes. Yeah, that would that would be that, that's a power duo duo right there. It's a dynamic duo. Of, Those are the uh, only demographics that matter. Yeah, and that's what you should say in your marketing is like, "This is a game for bros and hoes. No one else allowed. Get out of here, nerds. Fucking majors are cool now." Anyway, you're just you're destroying I, everything. I think, I think a lot of our community would identify as nerds, so I don't think that would be a Oh yeah, did you hear the move. the intro where I talked about how I played Total War for like sixty hours a week? I definitely fall yeah, into that demographic. Yeah, but I, I played a lot around Total War too. That was a good game. Oh yeah, it was uh, especially with the expansion. This is not a Total War podcast. It'll be yeah, on a J- Jesse's spinoff. You don't have to masturbate to everything. What are your thoughts? What? Oh my god! <laughs> Except that podcast is that actual Total War. What are my thoughts on Totally Accurate Battle Simulator? Um, I don't. I don't think it's a game that you can have thoughts on, as if that makes sense. <laughs> like okay. it's there's certain it like a Total War game, but with ridi- just ridiculous physics. Yeah, like, it's well, it's you create crazy battle sin- scenarios. Okay, it's not actually like a sim. That it's is not like a. That is only truly postmodern game. Yeah, not going to it's. This. I mean, I don't. I don't know. It's it's like Totally okay. Accurate Battlegrounds and all those Totally Accurate games are just. If you think too much, if you think too hard about them, you're missing the point is kind of my opinion on those. I enjoy them and I think they're fun. Um, but I, it's like, how are you going to have a discussion about a game? that's entire mechanics is that everything looks goofy. It's like, yeah. And you can shoot balloon arrows at people and make them float away. Yeah. That's it's fun. It's super fun. Yeah. But yeah, let's, let's uh, keep talking about you and your stuff here for a second. So okay. yeah, I just, so the, the purpose of this podcast is to talk to industry professionals about their journey through the industry for the purpose of anyone else that is considering a journey through the gaming industry. So you guys, you're a brother's team. You guys have obviously known each other for a very long time. You have that dynamic, that working dynamic that a lot of people aren't going to experience 
when they're yep. trying to work with a team of people they aren't related to. So what are some of the pros and cons of working with family like that? Mm. Um, I will say, well, there's, there's a strong element of trust. I know a lot, maybe a lot of family couldn't say that, but Chad and I are, are close enough that, um, and, and we're lucky enough that we have like a similar vision and work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of teams will have an issue where if somebody just kind of gets bored of the prod project or they don't seem like they're pulling their weight, then you, then you start losing interest in the project and, and then it just kind of snowballs into the, into it failing. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're working with family, you can't necessarily like, it's like you're, you're kind of stuck with them in general. So, so like trying to screw someone out of a business decision or something like that is like you're, you're ruining like a family relationship if you were to try to do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. So there's definitely an element of trust there that you that you wouldn't find with just like a random friend or you know some kind of business partner or acquaintance. Yeah, and that's the thing is that we all want to be able to trust our coworkers, but at the same time, we always have to be aware of the fact that we're all in this industry to try to become our own personal rock stars, and that uh, there's definitely. I mean, that's why I keep Jesse in the cage, so he can't leave. Is I can't trust him otherwise. <laughs> no, but in a cage, I'll kick you. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, I, I so but what I want to I want to know is that how did that influence your design philosophy? I mean, there's a bunch of indie games out there that are coming out with their own personal magnum opuses, of course. But so, what's your design philosophy? It seems like just from talking to you that you had this much more casual kind of like let's do something that's fun for us to play and then figure out everything sure. else. Okay, yeah. Um, so I guess related to the fact that I'm working with my brother, uh, we played a lot of like um, multiplayer games growing up. And so as part of our studio, one of, one, I guess one of our missions is to kind of bring that back and have like the ridiculous, wacky, like interactions with people locally. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we think about designing Mage Quit, we, we approach it from kind of a local multiplayer first, uh, angle and then, and then, um, kind of fit in competitive pieces like in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say overall, uh, my my biggest uh, the biggest thing I look at when I'm when I'm working on designing the game is I want it to be anticipation based. Mm-hmm. So everything you do in the game is is more or less based on a prediction that you're making in real time. And so it's a series of uh, it's a series of emotions that you get out of you know making these these snap decisions and hoping that you're right. Mm-hmm. And so when you're wrong and you get wrecked, you know it's because you picked, you picked incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I, I'd say our other big design consideration, at least for me, if I'm if if I have to choose between two different things, uh, usually if it's if it's not a matter of like anticipation, then I fall back to is it funny? <laughs> does, it, does it make most of the people that are playing laugh? Yeah, and if it, if it does, then it's usually a good decision. That's that's usually my those are my rules of thumb. Yeah, this that's it's a good way to approach it and. Um, the, the I think that for a lot of, especially indie devs, is that they get wrapped up so much in the idea of creating their perfect game that it's no longer fun for them. You know, trying to create a, create a job out of your passion is difficult. I know that me as a journalist, like when I first started, I was so enthralled with the idea of going to E3, going to Comic-Con. And there was this hurdle I had to get through in the middle of my career where it was the, the, the luster 
it had lost its luster, you know, and it became a job. So a couple, couple parts to the next part of the question is, first off, how many hours a day do you spend working on it? Uh, what was the transition like for it going from just like something fun you were doing on the side to being a job? Also, has this been your guys' full-time job for a while now? Do you, or do you have financial independence outside of it that let you keep this as a passion project? How does that work? That's a good question. We started working on this game about four years ago. Both of us had full-time jobs. So I was working as a web developer, and Chad was working as kind of freelance motion graphic video, um, graphic designer type animator, that kind of stuff. Uh, so he he switched jobs at some point, but he still he still works full time. Um, now he's mostly doing uh, like animation things like that, which which is good because it's it ties in with what he does for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, yeah, it was definitely like a side thing, but I. Uh, when I started it and started realizing the potential of the game, I was like, I just, this is eventually going to be my main thing. And then back in February, I refinanced my condo, um, borrowed a bunch of money, and I rented it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been full-time since February, pretty much just living off of that money. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, so the refinancing of your condo, how'd you come to that decision? Um, it was kind of like, our community was growing and it was kind of getting to the point where like either I needed to go all in on it or it wasn't going to like get done quick enough to the point where people were going to maintain interest in the game. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I would go like, you know, working full time, I would go like weeks without touching it. Mm-hmm. And you know, a community is not going to stick around if you're not, if you're doing nothing for like a few weeks, you know, in between, in between patches. So yeah. And yeah, I had some, I had some personal things going on too. And it was just kind of like, I need to, I need a change. Yeah. So how many hours a day do you say, would you say you spend working on Mage Quit now? <laughs> uh, this is kind of embarrassing. Um, all of them? Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> no, this, this... I pretty much just work on the game, go to the gym, and then I, I started teaching one day a week at um, a local college, a local tech college. Yeah, dude, I, I feel that so much. Like, my, my whole day is playing Total War writing articles, looking up things about video games and going to the gym because we're bros, you know, Ted and Ted and Brad over here were the fucking bros, bro chill studios. But, uh, no, no, I think it's, I think we need more bro gamers in this world. Um, but the, the, that, what was it like? (laughs) At least I asked good questions. Uh, come come on, Caitlin. Internally broke down a little bit over here. But what, what was it? When did you have that moment where you were like, oh, shit, this is my job now? And how did you push through that? Oh, shit, this is my job now. Um, Oh, you mean when I quit and then finally started doing it? Yeah, because you have that romance period where you're like, it's so cool. I get to do this all the time now. And then you switch to, oh, my God, I do this all the time now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So after I moved, so I actually moved in with my brother. So we we have um, uh, one of my friends refers to it as uh, Volca Studio Apartment. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so after i moved here uh and moved in with chad i i went to ikea probably like five times in one week and just like filled the whole place up with with like furniture and stuff just getting it ready because i was so pumped right mm-hmm. and but i i kind of got to a point where it was good enough and then i haven't like i haven't i haven't done any more like interior work on this place since then mm-hmm. so it's 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 pretty much just startup life at this point and um it's kind of a mess. There's booth materials everywhere, uh, which is why I asked you about the uh, if we were if this was going to be yeah. a uh, video <laughs> interview. Um, 
But yeah, so I would say probably uh, a month after I started working on it full time, then it started being like, like first it was like, yeah, this is this is amazing. This is what I wanted to do, and then it started being like, uh, you get like those those depression thoughts creeping in, like, yep. what if it doesn't do well? You're wasting all your money, uh, you know. And I think I took for granted having having a stable job and never really had like thinking too critically about what I what I did with my money. And now I like. I don't go out to eat. I only buy groceries at Costco. Not that that's cheaper, but necessarily. But yeah. um, it's not cheaper, just, but it is more stressful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going to Costco. Yeah, that's like a that's the most violent um, customer base of any grocery no, store dude, I've ever been Walmart, to. Walmart for sure. Yeah, I'd say well, Walmart is more of a grab bag. Yeah. Okay. Well, of a specifically a grocery store because I've seen there's some real agitation when two people who've got carts full of 500 pounds worth of like oats, um, you <laughs> know, got to check out. Huge, and there's not a whole lot of room in the aisles necessarily. Oh in yeah, some places. Yeah. Depending on what time you go, there'll be a lot of old people, and it's just. It gets infuriating. Does anyone else remember? Because Costco now has shopping carts, but they used to just have those pallets, like those those big metal uh, pallets used to throw everything on. They still have They're totally unmaneuverable. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like industrial. It was yeah. it was those are good old Costco days. Um, yeah. Um, so one of the Christine, did you have something you wanted to add there, real quick? about Costco. <laughs> oh no, no, I just I heard you I, I heard you raise your, your I, I heard you trying to chime in but then we we went on a tangent about Costco. No, I just think of about every time I call my dad, he's at Costco. <laughs> I love it here. Like the people the people who just live at Costco. You can get anything you want at Costco. You can buy baby formula, uh you know what? that's not printer. You can't get coffee filters at Costco. Really? Yeah, isn't that weird? That is weird. You can buy coffins at Costco. So I was gonna say you can get baby filters. Yeah, buy tires at Costco. You, you can, can buy, you can live and die shirts. and be buried. Yeah, at you Costco. can live, bo- be born, live and die at Costco. It's like uh, except Before for coffee filters. Out. That's where you yeah, have to. Yeah, you just you'll just have to use a Keurig, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. So uh, the you know it's funny. I, I I relay this story to other people that are trying to get into the industry is that when I first started writing. Uh, I was getting kind of trained up to be a new editor for for Dread Central, and uh, someone was getting mad at me because I didn't have this thing. I was I was like they were trying to get a hold of me and they couldn't. And I was like I was asleep. And so my editor in chief literally asked me. He said, "How much do you sleep at night?" And I was like, "I don't know, nine hours." And he said, "Well, you're going to want to cut that down to like seven. Like he was literally telling me how much I could sleep if I wanted the job. And um, those are the sacrifices. What? Hmm? crazy well these are the sacrifices that you kind of don't expect to make and then you do when you're going whole hawk you know it's like you know you, you didn't start making mage quit thinking you were going to move in with your brother and refinance your condo you know yeah that's true um i think i think i had a more uh a more rose tinted view of what it would look like to to be a game developer mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i my my goal my dream as a kid was to go to e3 I was like, that's what I want to do. Uh, this year was my fifth E3. I think by three, E3 number three, I was like trying to starting to get jaded. Um, I, I, like, I don't like Comic-Con anymore. But I, I will tell you what is that um, I'm not, I don't want it to be all depression and misery because I E3 now is an ex- insane amount of work. I plan for a whole team. And I, seriously, the few weeks before is just constantly talking to contacts, seeing what coverage I can get, making sure that the camera works, all this stuff. There's so much work that goes into it. But as soon as I walk through that hallway and I, I feel that energy, it's like 
I, I'm right there again, man. I'm right. I'm 18 again. I'm publishing my first article. I, I feel that energy. And so what's the equivalent for you? What's that moment of energy that you get that like still reminds you that like, Oh my God, I'm doing what I love. Yeah. Um, I would, I would completely agree with you on the, the part of like going to expo used to be like really exciting for me, but, but now it's like, okay, here we go again. I got to pack the car up. We got to drive out there. Uh, I set it all up. And then, um, once the, once we get like our first full group of people and then people start like stacking up behind that and people are like getting loud and enjoying it, I never get sick of that. I, I think that realistically though, is that along the road to being an indie dev, especially if you're going to make a studio with just you and your brother, there's a lot of things that are going to like come up that you don't expect. And, but at the end of the day, like you have to, you have to, that's why your design mentality is make what's fun, make what you like to play. So that at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't as much matter what critics think. It's more of what you, the, the experience of joy that you have when you're sitting down with a group of new people playing it for the first time and they're just loving it, you know? Yeah. And another thing I will, I will add to that is, um, you know, when I decided to quit my job and do this full time, I I would have that nagging feeling in the back of my head, like, what if it doesn't do well? Um, and it, that's still there, but like the the way I would uh, the way I would push that out of my head is just saying like, I like playing this game and I want it to be the best possible version of what of what it currently is. Mm-hmm. And even if it doesn't sell a single copy, like this, like it was it was awesome to work. It, it, it was awesome to make and and i like it's a game that i want to exist mm-hmm. so even if it's not commercially successful like i'll know that i made something that i'm proud of yeah i, I definitely feel that and uh, sometimes it feels like you're just pitching things into the void and the void doesn't care but at the same time you've you've made your little mark on the the steam store page you know <laughs> not 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 to get too sentimental here cuz that's not who i am uh, but for a little bit of context on on the games industry journey, Magequit was my first real games job. Like, I was a journalist before that, but working with Magequit made me realize what, like, I needed to do to keep pushing myself. Like, their their work ethic is, like, really, it's really cool working with someone who uh, has a certain work, work ethic that makes your work ethic improve. Yeah, I feel that. You're only you're only as good as the team surrounding you, and when you keep the team exactly. just you and your brother, uh, you can always just not invite him to Thanksgiving anymore, and that'll that'll light a fire under his ass. What's that say about you? You keeping me near you all the time? Uh, you will play Borderlands when I won't. Fair is enough. the is the main main draw there. Um, so yeah, uh, just just tech. Can I can I delve into one more thing? Yeah, go ahead, dude. Uh, so Brett, you have done. Uh, Game jams before, right? Yeah, I've done two. So one of the things we talked about with our with our previous guest was um, some of the things that she did at game jams to help with her job and her respective role. Is there anything that you've done at those game jams that you would suggest uh, doing that helped you make Mage Quit? Hmm, that is a good question. I would say so far what game jams have. I guess, okay, game gyms that I have done have really just taught me something about myself rather than, I would say, uh, giving me something that I can use on MageQuit specifically. 
Um, I will say in the future, when I participate in game jams, I will be doing it to explore uh, a new mechanic idea and see if it's if it's viable. Like to me, that that's that's a good use of it. Um, but I will say from the ones that I've done, so I did a Ludum Dare. That was my first one. Oh, my first like real one. I think I did one before that, but um, we made a. I don't even know how to describe it. It was kind of like a linear um, story. It, had, it didn't really have a story. It, it's a. It was a uh, Guitar Hero esque. Like it was a rhythm based uh, fighting game where you would. It was basically like, like Guitar Hero, but you'd use your keyboard, and every time you hit the right note, your guy would shoot a music note out of his guitar. Radical. And it's cool. Yeah, and it's you'd have cool. to pick. You'd have to try to pick the song or the genre of music that the person you're fighting would be weak against. Oh. So it was, it was dumb, but it was, it was fun to work on and I totally burned myself out. I think I spent, Ludum Dare is like a three day thing. And I think I spent 35 hours on the game that weekend. Jeez. So that's like an average of about 12 hours a day. So, um, I mean, you had a short amount of time for that project, but if you had more time, do you think you would expand on it? No. <laughs> no. Well, so one of the guys that was at our group was like, all right, this is a nice little game. Let's um, let's keep working on it. I'm like, nope. <laughs> and not, absolutely not. So that, that taught me that like burnout is, is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also taught me that I do not like the uh, end of production slash release portion of a game. I like the uh, concepting, the um, prototyping, but like the long haul part, like the end of production and then releasing is just, I think that's pretty common knowledge in the gaming industry, but that's the part that people, that's the reason people leave the industry. Yeah. I will say this is a story I've heard quite a few times from different people who have this game jam project or a thesis statement or a little project they've been working on and they have this great concept and it's a good idea. And then when they get into the production, it gets lost in the ether for like seven years and they burn out and there's, there's, there's a real benefit to learning how to let go, move on, try something new. Yeah, for sure. Good on questions. Jesse, you got any questions over there? Um, did you do anything fun this weekend? Did I do anything fun? I uh, I watched Deadpool the other night with my brother. I wasn't. I've never seen it. It was funny. I mean, I've seen it before, but it, it was as funny as I remembered. The first or the second one? Uh, the first one. second one's pretty good, too, but yeah, the first one. Yeah, it's a good movie. I like that one. Yeah. Oh, are there are there any games that you've been playing besides Mage Quit? Um, yeah, I play I play a good bit of Rocket League. Nice. Not, not recently, I haven't played it a ton, but that's usually my go-to if I'm gonna if I'm gonna sit down and play one. Um, I've been wanting to get back into Breath of the Wild, but it's you know RPGs. Once you put them down for more than like three weeks, you forget where you were. It doesn't feel like your game anymore. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. It is the worst. <laughs> I've restarted Fire Emblem Three Houses maybe five times now because I is just don't have one? the time to. Yeah. Oh man, I I'm gonna have to pick that one up. It's like I yeah. get, I get back into the Skyrim and I'm like in the middle of a dungeon and I have no idea what's in my bag and I was like, what was I using these soul shards for? And then I sell them and then I remember two hours later, it's like, oh, I needed to collect five hundred of those for the Dragon Quest or something stupid. Yeah. yeah. I uh, I go back into Monster Hunter after not playing it for five hours and I'm like, God, I need. I need to hunt this thing again, don't I? <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, just go ahead and uh, now that we're at the end here, go ahead and pitch. When's it coming out? What's it coming out for? What's the price point you're going to be going for? Sure. Uh, yeah, so we haven't picked an official launch date, but we're targeting uh, end of this month. It'll be plus or, plus or minus a week or so. 
Um, and it will be coming to fully out on Steam and Xbox One, and our price point is going to be $15. Mm-hmm. And uh, more platforms in the future, but we haven't really disclosed the, any details on that yet. Any plans to try to port it to, to mobile so that people can play while at the gym? You know, we have talked about that. Um, Mage Quit Mobile gets thrown around a lot, and most of our community says, um, for the good of humanity, do not do that. I don't know why people... They will, I, I, they will, get, they will <laughs> get anything done. <laughs> oh, I get what you mean. All right. Well, uh, man. Is there anything else that you want to plug? Any tournaments or oh, yeah. upcoming? So we are going to be having, actually, our community doesn't even know this yet. Um, we are going to be having a, our first online free-for-all tournament next Sunday, and I'm building the, the website sign-up page for it right now. Yes! Wow. <laughs> for that one. All right, yeah, that'll be next. That'll be next Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard Christine that excited about it. Ted, <laughs> anything? Can you give us a real jovial yes? Ted, what? Can you give us a real jovial yes? Yoo-hoo. Okay, that's good enough. Yoo-hoo. That's about as excited as I get about anything anymore. Huh? I'm just a joyful person, you know. Yeah, no, you're the energy that keeps keep, keeps me trucking. So I'm through not, all these podcasts. I'm not you know, dead in the ground yet. So yeah, well, yeah, Jesse's definitely, <laughs> uh, where this is the sliding scale into the grave is Christine's still alive. I'm halfway there and Jesse's long <laughs> since dead. Uh, anyways, man, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. I, I know, I know this one came about really last minute, so I appreciate you, uh, jumping on. Uh, once again, the game is Mage Quit. You can find it on Xbox One or the Steam Store. You can actually buy it early access on the Steam Store right now if you're looking to play it and join in, in this great community and more platforms to come. So, once and again... I'm going to plug this because Brett forgot to. Monday nights and Thursday nights uh, yeah, okay. at 9pm, they have community nights that you can jump in and play. You know, I've heard... I've heard what a great idea. Whose idea was that? Yeah, I've heard. Hey, I, I, it's a good idea. Okay, I'm not gonna downplay it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I've heard from very reliable sources that those community nights are the best idea anyone's ever had about Mage Quit. So I don't know wherever those came from. Maybe the best idea in human history. In human history, of anything. It's like bread, cars, and then community night for Mage Quit. Even above internet. Stay humble. Above okay. internet. Well, it wouldn't be possible without internet. Well, I mean, but the internet wouldn't be ha- worth having without Community Night for Mage Quit. So check it out, fair, fair, all fair. our all of our wonderful listeners. So once again, this is uh, Ted with DreadXP.com. Check out all the stories that we talked about today on DreadXP.com. We're going to have a link to all those trailers we were talking about, all our TGS coverage, which by the time this is edited should all be posted. And just come back next week. We're going to be talking to... Sarah from, I can't remember the name of the studio, but about the game Nevermind. So horror game, a little bit more in the horror wheelhouse. So come back next week for that. Till then, uh, thank you for listening, and I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. was uh, the guy who was arrested at the New Mexico compound where they were training those kids to be school shooters. Listen, have you ever gotten high? You said you've never smoked pot before. Well, I want you to be, I want to be the first person that you ever smoke pot with. I'm going to show you how to do it, and then we're going to talk about anti-Semitism.